Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by Ellen Colston. Ellen is from Wilmington, Delaware, and is a secondary transition specialist who prepares students with disabilities to develop self-determination and self-advocacy skills. One way she does this is by training families on their roles in transition planning under IDEA. In this episode, we discussed self-determination as a tool to promote independence, confidence, and participation by student-led IEP planning. And in this, we make sure that the student is a part of the dialogue instead of a third-person participant in a conversation about their life goals. We mention an important resource, imdetermined.org, many times in our conversation, and I will include a link to that website in the show notes. One thing we discussed in a side conversation after the show was that Ellen will be starting her own podcast in the near future called the IEP Road to Freedom Podcast. We're really looking forward to her voice being more widely heard as she shares her knowledge of student-led IEP meetings. Because that is something that we always wish we knew then. So welcome, Ellen Colston. Hi, good afternoon, Ellen. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you, thank you. We're looking forward to this conversation, but we were hoping that we could start out with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Yes, well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here today. So I am the mom of two children, 25 and 30, and both of them have a disability. One was an injury at birth, and the other one was an acquired disability um, eight days into his senior year of high school. He was in a major uh, truck accident. So, but um, along the way, I was a self-advocate and I went out and learned self-advocacy at different conferences, but I eventually knew that I had to build that capacity in my son as well. So um, I was a board member for our PTI, which is the Parent Information Center of Delaware. And I learned more about self-determination and transition under IDEA, which is the best part of the law. And then it became my mission to develop my, my children's voice youth leadership. And that usually isn't in the same sentence with a child with a disability that they have leadership skills, but they absolutely do. So um, in 2015, both of my sons were making their way. And that's when I thought, what's the, what was the secret ingredient? And it was self-determination. So I pivoted myself. I went through my own transition. You know, we all go through transition, even though it's so fearful for adults, for their children to go through it. Every child goes through it. Every person goes through it. I went back to graduate school in my mid fifties so I can learn more about self-determination. So I went to George Washington University, which uh, they have a secondary transition services program. And I absolutely loved it. So I got my graduate certificate and then I went on and completed my master's. So even though my children are older, I'm still very passionate about passing the gift of self-determination forward to other parents and students and really helping them shift that. It's not about what a student can't do. It's all about what they can do and what they're great at. Everybody needs to have some kind of support. 
if we look through our day, if we pay attention to our day, um, even when we're like going to get a cup of coffee for someone else, like there's, I ask so many questions, even when I'm going to get a cup of coffee for someone else, you know, so I, I, I'm all for the equanimity of the perception of this journey, because I feel like that's really the part that causes the challenges somewhere along the way, they isolated down syndrome and put a perception on it that any of the needs were special needs and um, just just misrepresented. I, I'm so fortunate that we have Sophia as well, because I can see that the needs between our two children are so similar. Mm-hmm. Disability is natural. Yeah. And Down syndrome is a naturally occurring chromosomal arrangement. And that's, that's really the verbiage that I want us all to take into our doctor's office. Like hopefully you have a doctor that supports your child like we do. But if you, when you encounter those medical professionals who are in need of like a reboot of vocabulary, you can give them that gift that say, doctor, it's a naturally occurring chromosomal arrangement. And that that changes our life. That changes our journey as parents. I did this partners in policymaking program and heard Kathy Snow of Disability is Natural. She has a great website, but to hear her talk and hear about her son's journey and her advocacy and his advocacy, they switched states because they had a challenge with the school systems, but to hear how she came full circle and, you know, was able to advocate for what he needed to be successful and then ultimately helping him learning how to do it as well. I don't think people out in the real world understand that as parents, we are constantly moving to find a place that will uphold our child's rights to an education. Right. That's mind blowing to so many people to, to anybody who's not on this journey that I have this conversation with. They're just like, why? I don't understand. And I'm like, neither do I. Right. And it's unfortunate, but I think we're changing it as, as parents. I think we're changing that journey. And that's why I'm still in it. Like, so my kids are 30 and 25. So when we started with, you know, handed a diagnosis, I'm like, oh my God, what does somebody do with this diagnosis? And, and they, and they said, you know what, you know, we used to institutionalize people like that. So was it wrong what they said? No, because that's what they were taught, but it only shows that transition under IDEA it starts on day one, like for every other student, you send your child to school, first day kindergarten, you're going to be a teacher, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a nurse, but you keep with a disability, you send them the first day and you're like, what's going to happen? It doesn't have to be that way. Cause the more that you're informed about the process. And then my problem in the beginning was I was stuck in that deficit mindset. I was stuck on everything my kid couldn't do and what he had trouble with. And it wasn't until I went to our state's transition conference, I'm on the board of a PTI. You have four PTIs in California. Do, do you use their services at all? I don't know what PTI is. I don't know what a PTI is. is. Okay. So under IDEA, special education law, they said, hey, we're going to put a pocket of money together to the side, and we're going to have every state develop a parent training institute. And these are parent centers where parents of, of children with disabilities can go and learn more about the IEP, learn about effective communication, learn about how to self-advocate. So as I said, I went through partners in policymaking, and then I was recruited to join the board of directors. So I'm on the PTI Parent Information Center of Delaware. 
And I was on there a couple of years. And then my son now is 12 years old. And the assistant director said, hey, are you thinking about transition for Chris yet? And I said, oh, you're right. I've got to get a transition book for him because he's going to go from elementary school to middle school and to help reduce anxiety and everything. I got to take pictures. And, and she goes, no, I mean, transition meaning IDEA. So even though I was an informed parent, I didn't understand what transition was under the law. And she goes, you know, they're having a conference and I think you would enjoy it. And she goes, as a board member, you should go. So I went to the conference because I'm being a good board member, um, member and I'm an advocate. And the morning keynote speaker was John Heger and he was the assistant secretary of Ozor's Office of Special Education and Rehabilitative Services. That's under the, the umbrella of USDOE. And he was talking about you know, students with disabilities and he talked about the unemployment rate. So at this part, I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna go through all of this and he's gonna be unemployed. He's gonna be on the couch. It was great to hear the message, but I was like, oh my God, this is awful. This is just awful. So, but in the afternoon, the secondary transition associate for Delaware DOE brought in the students that had IEPs, just like my kid, and they were talking about what their career goals were, what their strengths were, what their interests are, what they needed to be successful, which is accommodations. I was blown away because it was the first time I had seen kids through an assets-based lens. I saw them for everything that they could do, everything that every, every kid needs, typical and neurotypical. I mean, every student needs that. So the following year, I brought both of my sons and the keynote that year was Jonathan Mooney, who's from California, and he, he has dyslexia, and then he graduated from Brown, but great, great story about he and his mother self-advocated. So um, I said to Chris, I said, what did you think? And he goes like, I thought I was the only one who struggled. And then that's what he said, I want that. So then we stopped. I, it was just me going to IEP meetings, he was now going to come. So the first IEP meeting, there's this uh, thing called undetermined. It's your spin, my strengths, my preferences, my interests and needs. And what I, so I did this with Chris and we, and we worked on it together, you know, not at all at one time. And obviously we walk and figure things out. But I said, why don't we put a four slide PowerPoint together on that? And you talk about it at the IEP meeting. So I brought my laptop. We put this together, this PowerPoint. And here's the teachers watching the PowerPoint and him narrating. And then like, I'm all the way in the back. I was scared to move. I wanted to video it, but because it was fabulous. But what happened was like the one, one teacher, Mr. Paleen, who's awesome. Uh, Chris was saying, you know, I like your science class, but he goes, you say a good thing. And then you say another good thing right on top. And then he goes, I lost everything. So Mr. Paleen said, hey, if I give you the notes beforehand, maybe you could just highlight it. Would that work for you, Chris? I'm not in the equation. It's Chris, this is preparation for employment, but you know, Chris and his work. The next one was um, Mrs. Fitzhugh, who was a great math teacher. And he goes, you know, when I get pulled for speech and I got to go with the speech therapist and I come back, I just worry the whole time what I'm missing. He says, that makes me upset and stuff like that. And she goes, well, 
I plan out a month ahead of time what I'm going to work on. If I gave you that calendar, would that help you? So that IEP meeting had a totally different perspective because they saw him through a strengths-based lens because he was, we had prepared, which the, uh, the IEP team also prepares, but we never prepare the student to engage in those conversations. But it, everything had switched because now he was starting that road on how I can self-advocate for myself. So it, it changed everything. I'm so curious because you're talking about him taking notes and then, you know, your, your conversation with him. I'm just curious how old he was when he created this PowerPoint. Um, 12. Wow. That's... And it was, we like, uh, we used to walk a lot cause he has a lot of energy. So, um, I would talk about it on that. Like, what do you think we should put on that slide? What do you think? Like, I know what could have been on that slide, but I've learned that the answer for every transition plan is right in front of you. It's in your kid. It is for us to chisel away and find it out. Like when I listened to your last episode with Lena, to hear that your son also already has a work experience in the field that he wants to pursue, it's great because you believed in his ability that he could. That's a big shift for a lot of people. It's, you know, strengths-based lens, what they like fostering that. And that's what that PowerPoint did for the IEP team. Right. It changed. I mean, you, obviously, you're saying that that the teachers came up and said, "Well, I can give you these notes, or I can give you this lesson plan." But that's obviously something they hadn't even thought of giving him. What year was this? So let me see. He's 25 now. I said 13 years ago. Yeah. 2008. Oh, I know. I didn't know there was going to be a, a quiz. I would have prepared. <laughs> so, like, I think people get scared. Student-led IEP, like, he's going to be up there the whole time, and he's going to do everything. It wasn't like that. In the beginning, he just kept taking a small part of the, like, so what happened the following year? He made a bigger uh, PowerPoint, because um, if, if we had written something up for him to read, this is kryptonite for him. It's just not good. He can talk from a picture. So um, the following year, he made a PowerPoint to include everybody who was there. And he said something about each teacher because you know how you introduce everybody introduces themselves. Why can't he do that? So it, he was funny because the, the one teacher we couldn't get a picture of, like we couldn't figure out how to get the picture out of the yearbook and put it on the PowerPoint. But he went and found her picture on social media. So she was like, oh, where did you get that? And it was a very <laughs> nice picture, but she was like, oh my God, I've got to really watch it. But then what he did was he shared, I like when you do this, this what happens. I like when, and, and easy. I like when you do this, you want to talk about going into a meeting with partnering and how can we stretch my son's abilities, but stretch your abilities to help him grow. Cause it's all about that growth mindset. You know, they all want to talk about IQ and stuff. That's the starting point. This is a, this is a journey. You sit across from that doctor and they give you a diagnosis and you hear a, a, a gun going off. That's a starter's pistol. Get ready. Start running. Roll up your sleeves. You can do this. They need you to do it. And then you'll be surprised at the outcomes. It, it, it's the gift that keeps paying forward. 
So that's why I am still into it. Even though my kids are older, my kids were getting traction, you know, they're making it. So, and I kept thinking it's self-determination. It's what we learned at that conference. It's what we kept stretching them to be able to speak up for themselves, to problem solve, to do all these things. So that's when I went back to graduate school at George Washington University. They have a secondary transition program where all they focus on is making sure these students go off and live the life that they want to live, that they are, they're in the driver's seat co-designing the life they're intended to, to, that they want to live, just like your daughter's going to do it. Why couldn't your son also have a say in doing that for himself? That's really what brought you to us because we had a conversation about actual self-determination with the regional center and what that meant. And at the end of that conversation, we it opened up this conversation about determining ourselves, like mm-hmm. letting our children determine who they will be. Just like it's a right. It's a right that we have to determine. I mean, that's something that I always tell my daughter. I always tell her, look, you have the right to create your life. You're going to get unknowns thrown at you and all of that, but you have the right to navigate it in the way that you want to. It is not something that we're presented with, with our child. When our child is born, like all of those things are definitely stripped away. And I'm hoping we just went to a conference, a research conference. And that was actually a conversation because there was a time when you could get up and talk. And that was something that we said is that the communication and that the, the mindset that's created right at diagnosis needs to change because it's not the truth, but it takes us so long to realize it's not the truth. Like all of that stuff, I, I really always have felt that. A long time ago, you're right, they did institutionalize our children. That's what they did. And then the product of that institutionalization is what they call Down syndrome. But that's not Down syndrome. That's, that is really something that would happen to any person that you put in that environment. But that's what the diagnosis has carried with it. And it has, it's not the diagnosis. And it is so important to switch that mindset. And I, I appreciate you being honest about having the other mindset and seeing that and, and shifting. Well, you talk about the starter's pistol going off. Like that's yeah. kind of, I think, where we, what we did right. when we got the diagnosis. We, um, that's what it feels we like. First, we're shocked, you know, yeah. like, you know, we're kind of st- standing around and then we just go. But the advocacy that is easy to turn on as a parent is I'm going to take hold of the reins and do this, right? Well, here's a point where we realize, wow. But I think that's important until our child has a voice that we do like, because until they have a voice, it's important. I don't want to diminish that. No, I'm saying there is a transition though. Yes. That we hadn't maybe thought of, or people maybe don't totally think of how to do this. Right. And, and how to allow your child to have say, in their life. More say in yeah. their life, right? But I think it's true. It's a shift because I find it all the time. Like I, we advocate we, 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 sometimes to the point that I have to, maybe it's not true, but I'll be like, whoa, whoa, simmer down, Lori. <laughs> but like we are active in advocating for our child. And there are still times when I go, ooh, did I have an able mindset? Did I have that? And, and I do catch myself going, no, that what was my expectation? My expectation, no matter how much I say, I do have to just stay on top of making sure what I am believing in. 
what I am setting Liam up for. That you're seeing Liam for the, his full His potential. ability. Yeah. Yeah. For his ability and potential, you know, because we do get used to that. And you talk about the IEPs uh, that I think that is definitely the element that's missing. And obviously we all have to, like, we're all on our own path. So to be able to navigate when that's ready, but I honestly wish I would have brought him in just to sit in there every single time, because look at me and my son next to me and put limits on my son because I think that the way that they get away with it the thing that makes it okay to do is they detach from what they're doing you look into someone's eyes and say we're not going to believe in you and we're going to put a limit on your life it's I mean very few people can do that right but it's your right like you can have your child in that IEP it's for them and you're their parent bring them in there I mean get them if they did this um, determined one pager this is a great website, umdetermined.org. There's videos on there for parents and students. They have a summit every year, but um, it's really, so you're the advocate, which is great. But now the capacity building that we have to do in addition to help advocating, not for your son, but with your son, is to develop the capacity of advocacy within him as well. And this is the perfect place to, to start. Like, let's talk about your strengths. I go out and do presentations and kids don't know what their strengths are yet in in every IEP meeting you know we had the the teacher read okay Stephen's strengths are this this and this well why do we have to listen to you read it let's let's bring him in let him let him talk about it so develop capacity create opportunities for them to practice saying it I mean there's such a position to stand up in front of a crowd and say you know this is my career these are my strengths this is where I am right now this is where I need your help to get me to this part you have any ideas or edits? And then that's where the IEP should help filter in with that. That is how are we going to help you create that part, that opportunity gap that's missing right now. But, you know, some people aren't open to talking about disability awareness to their children. That was hard with me at first, too. Um, I went to a conference and listened to Ann Ford from, you know, the Ford company. And I was pretty good at this time. And just like you, she was saying, like, I, I raised my hand. I'm like, when do you tell them they have a disability? Because my son's is, you know, a hidden disability. And she goes, they already know it. They're waiting for you to be okay with it. And I just <laughs> cried. I'm like, I was so mad at myself because I had already compartmentalized that part of this is what it is. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm the barrier. I'm worse than the disability. So it was just another shift for me that I was not celebrating all these exceptional things that what Chris really was. So, um, but you learn and keep trying to do better. And before we get too far ahead, I wanted to go back to Chris's PowerPoint and you used, you, you held up a piece of paper for everybody that's just listening um, from, what was the website that it was from? It's called omdetermined.org. And I'll have a link in the show notes uh, for that. And this sheet, has four quadrants and that's what he used the four page PowerPoint for. Right, right. It's called, it's called the undetermined one pager and it's called your spin. Okay. And it's, you write down your strengths, your preferences, your interests, and your needs. Got it. Accommodations. Students don't know that word accommodations, but uh, they say needs. And we even fooled with the words again, instead of Chris going in like, you know, I need this we switched it and said, this is what I need to be successful. So that was another thing of self-advocacy. So now Chris is doing a little bit more in his IEP meeting. And in the beginning of the year, I'm like, he's going to be, have to be able to 
kind of do disability disclosure, either at college or work or something like that. So school's the best place to practice. So in the beginning of the year, we wrote a note to his teacher and he said, like, I know my case managers talked to you about my IEP. I know my speech therapist talked to you about my IEP, but can I come and talk to you about my IEP? And the teacher would respond and said, yeah, come after school 315. So he went and he would say three things. I can be successful if, and he just named the three accommodations that he needs. He didn't go in there and say, this is my disability. He didn't, we didn't split hairs. We just, this is what I need to be successful. And then he ended it with, I want to keep talking to you. Will you keep talking to me when you see I need help or when I, you know, and it was great. So some teachers wrote and we were like, oh my God, we, we need more kids to be able to do this. Other teachers had no idea what he was doing. And they're like, yeah, I'll look at this later. And he put it and they put it in their desk. So it was just funny, but with each step, my kids' confidence was growing. And really, we try to maximize as much as possible him being able to do that. Now, was it successful every time? No. But part of self-determination is self-reflection. You said your son's disability is a hidden disability. So the milestones come differently and the supports needed to express yourself um, are different. So this process and this filling out and making a PowerPoint may look a little different for everybody's child, you know, just a and little she different. Knew that her it would son, look a little uh, different. Really worked with uh, pictures, worked right. Yeah. So you go, you use the strengths. So you find your child. I think it's about knowing your child's strengths, like seeing your child as not the diagnosis, like yeah. like seeing, like actually seeing your child, because I think that that is really been. That has been the the challenge for me, like getting, you know, past the words that are put on him and con- constantly breaking them down. And then, you know what, they take hold, they plant little seeds, no matter how much I'm in that garden, just ripping stuff up, they do. And the trick is, is when you see the weed to pull it and to think a new thought or to, or to change that and make that pivot. So you, you are experiencing your child, like, just like, you know, what's it's just experiencing your child just like you experience any child and i think that that's kind of that's what's being taken away from from parents is what's being placed on us is this thought that it's different and that weighs a lot and now we can we're supporting our child once we make that shift into ability and competence once we make that shift And I go into the IEP meetings, those other people around the table, they don't always say the right thing. They don't always do the right thing. Um, They don't always have the correct information. They're not like, it's not streamlined. So why should my child be held to a different expectation? If my child says it differently, like it's a higher standard. So it's for them. They should have that same liberty of discovery and that beginner's mindset of this is me, this is for me. And you talk about, you know, how you're going to get some teachers that are like, this is great. Other teachers, it's going to rock, especially when you get an older teacher who's been doing it for 40 years, who doesn't see anything wrong with institutions. And that's a hard phrase, but we've, we've sat in IEPs before with people who are still way, way back there. And, you know, you're going to get those people who are like, I'll look at it later. And they're not going to look at it later, but that's okay. That's on them. Cause your son's going to get people like that in their life, right? They're going to experience that. And then they're cultivating this, this wholeness, this, this ability in their journey. 
Chris would come home and say they had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And it made him laugh and chuckle, but it was great exercise and practice for him. So what you're saying is build it, create opportunities for them to practice it. My son did a PowerPoint. I have another friend whose son is nonverbal. He had an injury at birth. And I'm talking to her about, well, where is he going to work? And she goes, well, I don't know. And, and I'm like, so I helped her fill out a one pager. And there's another, it's called lifecoursetools.org. I think it's University of Missouri in Kansas City. But they were giving a contract, uh, DDDS, on helping students with intellectual and developmental disabilities to learn that self-determination. And they had this uh, worksheet on activity, like here's the goal and here's the activities I want to do that will help me reach my goal. And these are the activities I don't like to do because they're not going to help me reach my goal. So I just helped fill it out with her because I know her child and stuff like that. And she said, is this how you see my son? And I said, yeah, don't you? So that was the, the first time it was a shift. What happened at his IEP meeting is PowerPoint was too much. So, you know, Walgreens, you had the posters. They And I said, put pictures on there of everything he does in the community, where he's working. You know, he was an altar server. He was in the choir. He did in the play and all this. Cause you got to show ability because that's where we're going to build from. And now he just celebrated a year working in the community. He pays union dues. He owned vacation time. So I, I had a parent before me. Well, really I had this conference in front of me where I kept seeing things and I kept doing it. So that's where my role is too. I get, feel like I, I got to bring parents to help make that shift and do it where your child can be successful. So you don't have to specifically do a PowerPoint or something like that. And then what he did too, is um, we worked on this one pager together. So it really made a great IEP meeting because then again, it's all about like stretching your, your children's abilities. So. And there are two things there. One is this little handout is something that always comes home and it's the projects that they do in school. What a great ability for them to see that what I'm doing in school isn't for naught. Like, oh, I can take this diorama, which I know kids are like, why am I making another diorama? Right. Um, but now I can, sh there's an actual practical use for this poster board. You know, there's, there's a means of expression and there's not an aide who I love RBIIs always, that's like, that's not my aide's artwork. That's my child's artwork yeah. showing, cutting out those pictures. This is what I do or making the PowerPoint or writing the sentences or whatever it is. And I just wanted to say when your son came home and said, some people didn't know what I was doing at all. Mm -hmm. What a great learning lesson for him because, yeah. you know, a lot of times our kids are the ones who are meant to feel like you don't know what we're doing. And those are words that are like spoken at the IEPs or in the classroom or, and, you know, people always talk about our, our child in third person. And I'm very sensitive to it because I'm like, he's right there include him in on the conversation, but how great for him to see that these people who are supposed to be so smart, these people who are um, speaking these words over him or creating this uh, curriculum, they don't always know what they're doing. Nobody always knows what they're doing. And that's so important for any kid to learn because it validates their feelings. I did want to revisit though, Ellen, because you said this person who was a speaker said your child already knows um, that they have a disability. I feel like my child has an extra chromosome and he may do things differently. I'm really curious about that conversation um, because I don't, I, and this is me and 
not everybody's going to agree with me. I don't see an extra chromosome as a disability. I see it as a part of Liam. I guess that's just how I try to see every human. Absolutely. Um, I think like, obviously, when you're going into an IEP, and there's certain times where you need to like write down, which I I cannot stand that, that we have to have it written down so concretely in pen. But I just want to I want to I want to leave it out there as far as the fact that I want my son to know who he is, that he's him. Right. It's not all of him. It's a part of him. And that everybody has those challenges. Like, like everything else. Yeah. That's that's where I'd like to see is that like, I don't want my son to to know you have a disability and you have a limit. I want my son to know, hey, this is you. This is who you are. This is how you do things. And this is how you It could also be the definition support. of what disability is, is that, that it doesn't have to be a that it's just about... Right. limits, right? I don't, I don't. Yeah. It's not about the word limits. ability is your root word, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We had, I had a friend who worked with a professional to do disability disclosure to her son um, who had autism. And she says, we thought we were doing such a great thing. Tell him he had autism, but she goes, we only gave him one part or one side of the T chart. Mm-hmm. We only did this part. We, we did the liability part. We never did the assets part. John McNaught is a great guy to talk to from I'm Determined. He does self-determination really good. He talks about families filling this out, putting on the refrigerator, things I can add to it, things I could take from it. You know, mom, you didn't put this strength down, but you do this really good. So it really raises their awareness of what is a strength. You know, we just kind of lived it 24 seven. I love that. I love that it's for everyone, not just for yeah. the student. And and when you say self-determination, I feel like in my brain, I say that I think it should be the determination of yourself, like, because I always go to like, I just, I don't want listeners to get confused with that. This is the, the part of a regional center where you're determining what your right. sources are, but it's actually determining who you are, who you want to be, like molding that experience you doing and, it. No and one participating. Else. So I use it as an umbrella term because there's really nine components of it, like choice making. That's stuff we can do with our kids at home. Like, you know, so, uh, decision-making, problem-solving. It's so interesting. I just did a presentation yesterday and I'm talking about self-determination and problem-solving. It's one of the components. And I'm saying, how many of you problem-solve? And they said, well, we do it in math class. And I'm like, hmm, they think, or that's something my mother does. No, we all problem-solve every minute of the day. But when you're talking about self-determination, you raise their awareness to it. You know, it's easy for me to solve the problem, but, you know, ask, what can I, what, what would you do about it? which is hard as a parent because it takes time. But why, I heard an instructor one time say, why tell when you can ask? The answer's in front of you. They'll figure it out. Just keep prompting with the questions. Also within that umbrella group of self-determination is goal setting and attainment, self-regulation, self-advocacy. The other one is um, self-efficacy, volition, being a person of, of, of agency, that can all be built into our children. So um, John McNaught, again, is another one. Here's this. He's a self-determination. This, again, is on the Undetermined site. I'm not affiliated with them, but they're, they're fabulous. Is that the same where the nine the nine steps that are underneath it? Is that what you're showing me for the self? Yeah, so that's my favorite article explaining it. But this is just a graphic that goes with it. I love this article. This article is from 2012. Is that on the I'm Determined website? or um, No, this is from George Washington University for my instructor. But I love this article. I, I just I just love it because it's about putting your kid in the driver's seat 
and people get very nervous on that. But do you just hand the kids the keys? To, and you're like, Sophia, here, here's the keys. No, we're going to practice. We're going to rehearse. This is the same thing. And like you said, you're not associated with them at all, but you're using them as a tool. It works you for you. Tools. Yeah. They're tools. It's brilliant. Yeah. And it worked for my son. And I just kept taking steps and I would follow them. And we just kept doing things. So yeah, they're, they're a great resource. This is from that same article that you referenced is it, it has goals and objectives. I will select which type of work I want and why. Now, I also keep in mind that a lot of times you get high school seniors and you say, what do you want to do? And they're like, I don't know. So I think that's a really good place to say juniors, college juniors that are like, this is where I think actually our kids can really benefit from that scope that people see because our children definitely have higher expectations at the same time as no expectations. It's the weirdest dichotomy that exists uh, in the education system or in society is that there's this high expectation and this no expectation that exists at once, like a Dr. Strange metaverse or something. So I think that at any age, just saying I will select the type of work I want to do and why, that gets them deciding and thinking about what they like to do. That's what we talk about a lot about just, and you can do this with all your kids, right. any of your kids, is just finding their passion, seeing what their passion is and seeing how do we drive toward And that can change. That. Like that oh, passion. Yeah, it can change. And I yeah. think that's like just in life in general. Like yep. I can know what I want to do right now. But when I get to that point, I may discover something new and go, you know, this is where I am. But ooh, I like that. And I think it's giving the freedom of that evolution that needs that needs to really be given to every child to say, well, what do you want to do right now? Let's move towards that. And you don't know what's going to unfold once you get there. And I like that um, the second thing is I will develop action steps to achieve my goal, my employment goal. And the third one being to evaluate functional reading and writing skills using my daily check sheet. If that works for them, you got to find out what works for your child. You ask them, Hey, they do this. Are you, or sometimes they do the accommodations. You're doing things. They're not even aware of it. Is it work? If it doesn't, ask them, what do you think would work? What, what do you, what are your ideas? Let's ideate. I love that because honestly, in kindergarten, they told us, let's take him off curriculum. He's never going to learn how to read or do math. And our son just graduated on curriculum, the fifth grade, and he can read and he does math. And with his BII, he wrote a five paragraph essay on Beauty and the Beast. It's such a beautiful statement to have that expectation. And you're right. If, if my child goes into it and says, I want to evaluate my functional reading, how is a teacher going to say, but you'll never read? How can any person at that IEP table, any administrative, any district worker look at a person who says, I want to evaluate my functional reading because I know I need it for my future. That to me shines a light on, you know, you're making a choice to limit. Can you, can you do that? So I love that this is coming from the inside. I went to a conference in DC. It was full alliance for full participation. So all the national advocacy organizations, the ARC, TASH, whatever, they had one combination conference. So I'm in a workshop and we're talking about inclusion and advocacy and stuff. And this woman screams from the back of the room, Charlie deserves emancipation. And it, and I wrote that down, like Charlie deserves emancipation. And I'm thinking, so my kid is like eight years old at this point. It didn't connect with me. It wasn't till later at this transition conference when I thought, oh my God, 
I'm more of a disability than his own disability because I'm thinking he can't, the focus is on deficit, what he can't do. And I kept thinking, Charlie deserves emancipation. Charlie, des Christopher deserves emancipation. What do I go do to get him there? So like you just said the word liberty and freedom, emancipation. Do we even talk like that with our kids? Like you just did, but it just made me think of that story. So I just kept thinking like Christopher deserves emancipation. You know, my husband doesn't want to stay with me. So why should Chris be stuck with me for his entire life? You know, <laughs> but I love that. I love that. And I think that is part of my experience is sometimes people say stuff and it takes a minute to click. Yeah. Like it takes a minute to, you know, our friend Maisen said advocacy is just showing up. And it took me so like at first I was like, no, no, it is uh, reading the assessments and it is showing, you know, it's like knowing the law and all of these other things, but no, it's just showing up. And to think when they said that he deserves emancipation, that your child deserves that when they're 18 or 21 to be able to say, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Your child deserves the same freedom and the same rights, that right to, to create their life. Um, and that's real. I know it's really hard. And you talked about your child was eight until you were like, oh yeah. And I know that like that mindset, it, I don't want anybody to feel bad about feeling anything other because it's what we've been fed. What we're trying to do is change our minds is to change the conversation and change the road for our children, change the opportunities, the abilities. Our children are not going to, and if anybody does this, it's not a judgment. It's because it's what society has told us. My child is not going to work for food. My child is not going to work a long day and get paid with a pizza. My child has a value and he's going to know his value and we know his value. And it's just like anybody. If, if someone doesn't know your value, you politely, as soon as you acknowledge that, you know, you wish them the best and then you, you move on. And that, that is really the foundation that I want for my child, for any child. And you can always step toward your kid's independence. Uh, we had talked to Enrique Perez about special needs trusts, and they're always talking about, keep pushing toward giving the power to the person that we're talking about here, not everyone controlling that person. Whatever that power is, what, yeah, whatever their ability is, mm -hmm. but it's, but it's about seeing their ability, mm -hmm. not, and this is hard because this is hard for me, not our fears. I love that you're spreading this word because this is not something that I think comes to parents naturally. I don't think, I think naturally we protect our children and want to, want to, and that can become controlling. But then as a parent, you go, well, that's what I do. I just kind of lead and guide and. But and we do it for every child. We do. And, and I mean. <laughs> My, our typical child, our neurotypical child could go to their uh, teacher and say, hey, these are the three things that would really help me. I mean, <laughs> before class, that would be awesome. Why, why shouldn't we, everyone self-advocate? It's a very good point is that like, this is good for every child. I think that is the change that we're needed. I want to just really reiterate because I, I know that the journey has been different for everybody and the people who have come before us I met like when you said that your child is 25 years old uh, I know it might be a, a little bit of a different path but 25 years ago what did that look like you know I was just working on something and it was about the 1980s and it was about the educational system then and I just thought gosh you're five years away from just really idea 
taking hold, you know, change, unfortunately change is slow. And because of that, I feel like as, as a community, we've picked up that baton and we're helping to make the change, but I'm just thankful for everybody on this journey and for everybody for what they're doing, because in the face of adversity, we continue to be here and be present. And that's really the most important thing. And then when the changes come and we find that pivot, we find that shift in our thinking that then, you know, maybe the outside is going to get it a little slower than we do, but doing it from the inside, that's where the power is. It's from the inside of our bubble and it's, and it's planting those seeds on the inside of our children and they will bloom and blossom. Yeah. And I think that also has such a more of an impact on the educational system because I can go in there and fight, but they just look at me as like a, a mom who's got her heads in the cloud. But when my child is there and they're fighting, I think that's so powerful. I think it's so impactful. So whatever level, whatever means that you can take this and translate it onto your experience. I think it's nothing but a powerful change and such a great tool. Amen. Thank you so much for coming on today. Really informative. I think of how many like really just desert lands there are in, in the country of just mm-hmm. people just they don't know that really don't have any resources. That's a good thing of your podcast. And that's how I found you. You're doing a great thing. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Please follow us on Twitter at if we knew then pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at if we knew then pod or visit our website if we knew then.com to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Oh